Good morning, church. For the last time, I'm going to ask you to please open up your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 15. What a journey last 35 weeks, and uh, what a way to end. I'm rather in awe of how this gospel lands this morning, and I'm hoping you feel the same by the end of our time together. Lord Jesus, it's with great reverence we come to you this morning. You're alive. <laughs> You're alive. You are here, resurrected. And Lord, we thank you for the last 35 weeks of grace, how you have ministered to us through this mighty gospel. Speak to us one more time, Lord, and might you seal this message of your resurrection in our hearts as a church, and would the gospel of Mark bring great fruitfulness for your glory here at SBC, we pray. In your precious, living, and wonderful name, amen. Let's read from Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Mark chapter 15, verse 42. And Jesus has just been crucified. Verse 42, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, imagine that, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, that's a Saturday evening, when the sun went down on Saturday evening, it was the end of the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. What happened was you were allowed to conduct business from Saturday night. And so they had to wait a whole day to go buy the spices they wanted to use to anoint Jesus' body. And that's why in verse 2 it says, And very early on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday for the Jews, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was 
crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, I want to point out, if you're reading in your Bible, you'll be surprised as to why I stopped there, because there are a few more verses left in the book of Mark. But you'll notice that um, if it's a conservative Bible, it has it in brackets, which means that the ending from that point onwards in Mark is not in the earliest manuscripts. And so it is not historically a part of the original text, which has puzzled translators because the ending of Mark is so abrupt. I mean, what a way to end a book on that note. They were astonished and very afraid. I mean, that's not exactly how you'd write a bestseller, right? And there's a debate that's going, that has been going on. That maybe the end of the book of Mark was lost, or maybe it was just as is. And I want to say to you this morning, I'm so grateful it ends just like this. God has so preserved the book of Mark. I think Mark intended it to end like this for good reason. What a strange ending, but let me tell you what a glorious ending for those that he was writing to this morning and for us. And where I want to start is my first point this morning, and I hope that you were starting to listen carefully and pick it up. In the way Mark is writing to his audience, and we know that they were the church in Rome, my first point is that the resurrection is a historical fact. This is very important to where I want to land this morning and where Mark wants our hearts to land towards Jesus. What is happening in this book, in, in his telling of the death and burial, that's where we're starting to, the burial of Jesus and the resurrection, it is facts. He is taking such care to write to these people. Granted, it's, it's very quick Mark is a guy that doesn't mince his words, but every single verse is brimming with evidence that can be investigated. Friends, the point of what Mark is doing to these Roman Christians, and for us this morning, is saying, you are not putting your faith in a philosophy this morning. You're not sitting in the armchair of Paul and him sort of espousing all of his glorious thoughts about who this potential Jesus should be and how the moral, the, the moral uh, outworkings of his life are. No, no, friends, what this church needed to hear from Mark is what you and I need to hear this morning, is that Jesus died, it's a fact. Jesus was buried, it's a fact. Oh, and this morning, he was risen from the dead as a fact. And you will notice he is careful to give the time and date from the very beginning. Verse 42 tells you the exact day that Jesus died and was buried. It was done in a great rush. It was Friday, the day of preparation. On Friday, when that sun set, it was Sabbath. You were not allowed to do any work as a Jew. And that is why Joseph of Arimathea is in a hurry. And do you notice that at every point, Mark is telling you people, you can go back and investigate and ask, were you there? Did you see it? Did you wrap the body of Jesus off the cross in this linen shroud? Where was the tomb? You can notice that Mark is being so careful to tell you what happens, how it happened, when it happened, who did it. And it's interesting, the, the players involved in this. Joseph of Arimathea is an, an interesting guy. You notice that Mark gives him a character reference. He says he was a respectable man. Why would Mark put that in? He wasn't a, 
a floozy. He wasn't a skabanger. He was a man who was taking great risk, church, to associate with Jesus. I often wonder about this Joseph Arimathea. He was there with the Sanhedrin condemning Christ. And when Mark writes that he was looking for the kingdom, I wonder what happened in this man's heart between the night when he was at the various trials of Jesus, casting his lot for this man to be crucified, too afraid to raise his voice and say, I've got doubts about you, high priest. I've got doubts about the way you're dealing with this man. He could be the Messiah. God's saying, telling me something in my heart about this man. And at the death of Jesus Christ, something moves Joseph Arimathea towards the Son of God, he sees that there's something special. And at great risk to his personal reputation, let me tell you, if that council found out that Joseph did, that he wasn't gonna, he was out. But he does it. Mark says he took courage. This was something where a man put his reputation on the line to be involved in. And aren't you amazed at how accurate Mark is about the historical speed of Jesus' death? When Pontius Pilate hears Joseph asking for the body of Jesus, he is physiologically, biologically correct in his surprise. What? Jesus was just hung up there a couple of hours ago. He's dead? And what does Pontius Pilate do? He checks. Mark tells you who he asked to check. It was the centurion who watched all the way from the beating and smacking of Jesus over the head with the reed of his underlings, of his soldiers, enjoying sport with Jesus. He was there at the scourging of Jesus. He was there when Christ was compelled to carry his cross, but he couldn't do it, so he asked Simon of Cyrene. The centurion was the very man who looked at Christ and said, truly this man is the Son of God. This is the centurion who is the one who has watched the very death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Pilate checks the facts, and this Roman centurion notes his rank. He's not a common soldier. He is the top guy under Pilate. It is the leading rank officer of the moment who gives his assent to saying Christ is dead. And then Pilate says, you can have the corpse. Isn't that interesting? Did you listen to that word? It's not a common word in the Bible. That is used so particularly, this Joseph was getting a dead man. And he prepares a tomb with a very large stone. And Mark, which was very important as Jewish fact, you had to establish a fact in a trial by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Do you notice that there were two women that saw where Jesus was put in the tomb? He gives their names. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. At every point, Mark is guaranteeing the fact to these Roman Christians who are living far from Judea that Jesus died. That they could make inquiries of their own that this was fact. And not only, friends, was it the fact that he had died, it was the fact of his resurrection. Can I point out to you, if Jesus was not verified as dead, he could not be verified as being risen from the dead, right? That's why Mark is being so careful here. And that's why Jesus demands your respect this morning. You come here this morning and go, oh, this is just 2,000 years ago. What an old story. Let me tell you, we're talking about history. We're talking about facts. And I want to say to you this morning, it demands a massive response for the human race if they will investigate it. Because he doesn't just stop at the burial of Jesus. He looks at the facts of his resurrection. 
how powerful it is for Mark slowing down here for a moment. He then says, right, let's talk about the resurrection. Do you notice in verse, chapter 16, verse 1, not just two women went to the tomb, but three. He gives their names. He says, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. And what they're doing is perfectly correct. They are discussing how on earth are we going to get this tombstone open? It was very heavy. Women are not naturally endowed with great physical strength. And they're thinking, will, this, will the Roman soldiers give us the time of day? Luke goes into much more detail about, and Matthew particularly, because he's writing to the skeptical Jews, about Roman soldiers being there. They were thinking, how can we convince these big strapping soldiers to roll the tomb away for us, roll the stone? They don't know what they're going to do. Mark is being very accurate. And then they arrive and they see that this stone is rolled away and they can't believe it. They're astonished. And what's the first thing that you do when you see a stone that's rolled away from an open tomb? You go in and see, right? Where's the body? They rush in and they go have a look. And what they see is not just with their own eyes as witnesses of the absence of Christ's body in the tomb, but there is a supernatural witness as well in two angels. Mark only records the one who speaks, but Luke tells us that there, that there were two. In the tomb, two angels saying, what are you doing looking here? Do you notice they even get Jesus' surname just right? He says, Jesus of? Not, there were a lot of people that had Jesus' Yeshua name. <laughs> it's a bit like Matthew. I know how he feels. And the angel says, oh, just so that you know, we're talking about the same Jesus here. Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, what are you doing looking for the living among the dead? Look for yourself where he lay. He's not here. He's risen. What a moment. And friends, the joy of this moment is appropriate, or even the emotional response of these ladies is correct. For Mark is so accurate. He doesn't go, and they worshipped and believed and loved Jesus for the rest of their life. What did they do? Ah! <laughs> they ran. They were astonished. They fled. I would have done the same. Ah! How true. How factual. How correct. Trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Rightly so. They, for a time we know eventually they did, but they had to get their wits about you. Have you ever just been in like a car crash where you had some huge adrenaline rush? You just got to sit there and go, I need... I need a Jewish bit of wine, bit of drink. Why am I making this such an important point for you this morning? Because friends, we are not afraid of history. We are not afraid of scientific investigation around the resurrection. Those who have taken it seriously to look for themselves have gotten saved. But the problem that we have today, and I just want to nudge a moment if you're here, worried about what the real scientists and philosophers outside there say about your faith, and you lack the confidence of having an assurance that what you are banking your eternity on is correct. Let's just be honest. We're, we're talking about a big deal here this morning, aren't we? I mean, we could be doing a lot of other things this morning, but because of who Jesus is, and his resurrection, this gospel is giving us a hope and a demand upon our lives that's making us live radically differently according to how the world says we should. 
Oh, this morning you must know that you must not be afraid of facts. I encourage anyone listening this morning, you go and take the time off your armchair. You go and look. You read the accounts. You get on a plane and you go to the Middle East. You go and examine this incredible historical account of the Son of God in all of the, the primary sources. And you will find, like Lee Strobel, you will find he's just one of many who have been willing to say, okay, my scientific approach is I'm not prejudiced. I'm not going to say, oh, okay, because of what I think is correct, I'm going to deny facts in front of me. That is so unscientific. And may I just say, honestly, this morning, what I, I am surprised by, you can listen to debates on YouTube till the cows come home. But I've got a problem with what those de debates represent. They are these brilliant old men, usually. <laughs> Some very capable ladies sitting in their big chairs dismissing the resurrection because how could that be possible? Scientifically, it's impossible. Really? Where, as a scientist, I want to ask you, will you make your supposition without examining the facts? And if you listen to John Lennox, a saintly man, a mighty philosopher around science, a Christian man, he is so gracious towards these men. The second he starts talking about the resurrection, they laugh, they scoff, they say, oh, John, it's your Northern Irish background. It's nonsense, it's rubbish. Let me tell you, if you will examine the facts this morning like these men refuse to do, they see Christianity as a mere philosophy, as an armchair religion, where it, it, it has a sort of nice moral outworkings in history, but there's no, there's no reality. They're wrong. Because every man and woman that's taken it seriously and they've gone examined for themselves have seen this must be. And the reality of why this is so powerful is because, friends, let me tell you, Mark is not writing to people in armchairs. Do you know what these people were facing? They were facing the circus. They were facing crucifixion. They were facing being impaled on giant poles of wood and to be lit up as street lamps under the sycophant Nero's persecution of the church. And I often laugh, you know, these, these guys that tend to scoff at the Christian faith forget the very people to whom it was written to. Is there no greater evidence this morning for people being willing to lay down their lives of what they know to be true? under the greatest testing of the early church, under this emperor that took delight in taking sport under maximal pain of crucifying innocent people. Friends, this wasn't a theoretical, philosophical argument for these Christians in Rome. They had to stake their lives on it. I wonder if I will be as faithful as Mark to you. Can you imagine the weight on this man's conscience of writing to these Christians who are going to say goodbye to their children, who are going to see their loved ones being torn, together, torn apart by wild beasts, crucified and humiliated in front of a crowd who hates them, and still write, stand for your faith, Stand for the fact of the resurrection. Stand for the, the glorious gospel, this hope of the world. 
stand for the resurrection of Christ. Why does Mark land in this strange ending? Is because, friends, when you see Christ has not only died, but resurrected, it is sufficient for your faith to stand. You are able to look at this life and say, this is not all that there is, praise God. Though he take things away. I love Job, I had to work through him through this Bible reading plan. He says, he gives and he takes away. Blessed be his name. How can somebody who thinks this life is all that there is say something like that? How can somebody who sees this world as merely material, as merely this place where we have to eke out maximal pleasure in order to get the, the full experience of what life can only offer, offer up themselves in a, in a circus, can be torn together by wild beasts, can be crucified? How can anybody without a concept of the resurrection ever suffer for Jesus Christ? Friends, when Hebrews tells us to stand in the presence of so great a cloud of witnesses. Have you read what it cost them to stand for the resurrection of Jesus? And in your mind, you must ask yourself the question this morning, why would anybody do that? It's because they realize this great fact that this isn't home. They realized this great fact that what they could see with their eyes was passing away and that Christ's resurrection was a foretaste of what he promised them. And friends, when you start to see the resurrection being the passageway from this foyer of this life into the great hall of eternity, you start thinking differently about what really matters in this life. Amen. I want to remind you the words of Jesus this morning, church. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But what is his next words? But take heart. Take heart what? That you're somehow going to get heaven on earth? No, no, he says you're going to have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome this world. What is that overcoming? It is the resurrection, that this, this, this curse of sin and death that holds us separate from this glorious participation and fellowship with God forever and ever. It has been conquered, and the resurrection is proof that as Christ has been resurrected, so you and I will through faith in Jesus Christ. And what is to come, church, vastly exceeds what this world has to offer. Now put that on this morning and ask yourself the question, doesn't it make you look differently at this life? Doesn't it make you look different at this body? Which, by the way, doesn't seem to be going in the right direction, does it? Does it make it, make it a difference in this world when you think one day you are going to stand before Jesus and the Son of God is going to speak to you? Friends, this is what these people needed to hear. It's what we need to hear this morning. The only way we look at this world with the right eyes is to have the resurrection in clear focus. Because my second point is the resurrection has profound consequences. I'm, I'm just going to point out that when the, when the angel says, he's, he's not here, he's risen. Let me tell you, in that moment, it explodes the natural mind. It is something which is so profound. Michael Eaton puts it so well. He says, of all the things that are difficult to believe, a resurrection from the dead is the greatest, right? I mean, you could kind of cheat a little healing of the arm, okay? You could, you could, I mean, let's just be honest, some of the 
Some of the bad teachers in the church have done it. <laughs> Person rolls in a wheelchair, I'm healed! Meanwhile, who knows? I'm not so sure about what was before. But you take a dead man, verify it. And without anybody coming and laying a hand on him and praying, is resurrected. What is that? How do you explain that? Friends, the reason why the fact is so important is because of the consequences for the human mind, for the human life. I want to point out, why does the resurrection challenge us so deeply? Why do those scientific, and I've got great respect for their minds, but I don't have respect for their methodology. They sit in their armchairs and reason, friends, surely the resurrection as fact explodes the extent of what human reason can understand. When you see that this resurrected man is defying nature, nature says a man when he dies cannot be risen again. When you see nature reversed in the resurrection, friends, that's where your logic and naturalistic, atheistic, materialistic philosophy, they've got lots of big words, but the bottom line is nothing outside of what I can reason can be possible. Really? Let's look at the resurrection. When you start seeing the glory of the resurrection, I have to put it to you, church, this morning, this is why we do not deny it. We hold it. Is it explains that there is something greater than mere nature at work, right? It explains that there's a power that's over death, right? It explains that there's a supernatural working that we cannot explain in a natural sense, that there is a sense of this God, this God who's beyond the realm of nature that's powerfully defying it, breaking its laws, showing that he has the power to defy even the laws of nature that he set himself that God is real, that the spiritual world is real, that the miraculous is real, and that this God is active, he's not living. Let me tell you, the greatest evidence of the resurrection is that our God moves. He's a God that speaks. He's a God that summons. He's a God that changes and intervenes in the very experience of our human lives. It's powerful. This resurrection declares that, and it's funny, I must just say to you this morning that atheism seems to be dying a slow death. Do you know why? They're having to move towards agnosticism because they're realizing that atheism is too small to explain the grandeur of what has happened in this world. Today, friends, the resurrection forces you into a realm you don't like to go, because why? We want to be in control through our mind. We want to be, have autonomous uh, independence through our materialism. But friends, I want to point out to you, the resurrection tells you there's much more. There's much more than just sheer death. There's something greater than death. There's something that happens even after death. There's something that's more powerful and more eternal. It's been there before you. It's going to be there after you. That's it there that you, you cannot deny through the resurrection. And philosophers can sit in their armchairs and say, oh, that's nonsense. It's so unscientific. I ask you, look at the facts. Look at the facts. It is prejudice to deny facts and to come to a verdict before you see it, before you examine it and say, well, this is how it is. And friends, the resurrection today, it gives us this wonderful assurance that Jesus is alive, that there is a God who's at work. And friends, before Christ came, you read the evidence of the Old Testament, all of the prophecies and predictions of this resurrection of the third day, they're there. It is remarkable for me how slow of heart we can believe when it's there. History shows you prediction. History shows you fulfillment. Resurrection shows you facts. And when we pick up these scriptures, we see, oh, wow, they hold together. And we're not talking, we're not talking about what this is, the, why it's a bodily resurrection. Plato didn't mind resurrection of the spirit in a sense or the endurance of the spirit, but he didn't like the body. We don't believe in the sort of ethereal 
way of, of spirits leaving the body and, and going back to the um or the, 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 um, the, 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 the original maker or the universe. No, no, friends. We're talking about a material resurrection of a body. It's so powerful. It proves Christ's claim. He conquered the grave. And what I want to land on, my third point this morning, is that the resurrection changes how we relate to death. What is the meaning of this resurrection? Well, you've had a foretaste already. It starts getting you to think about what's really important in life. Without the resurrection, church, please listen to me. This is what you need to take home. You cannot live for Jesus. It will not make sense to you. Mark knew. Why does he end? And they were astonished and afraid. Because he realizes that this response to the resurrection is what we need to live for Jesus. Can I make a statement that I want you to think about very carefully today? What you truly believe about death determines how you live your life. What you truly believe about death determines how you live your life. What I did was, and I encourage you to do it, there's lots of easy tools, eSword, go and research the word glory. And in my reading with McShane, we've just finished one Corinthian, two Corinthians. And Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about the resurrection and glory. And something came in, he throws it away, but we, uh, it's easy to miss. But in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32, Paul says this. He, he's trying to argue with these Corinthians because they were also under pressure to deny the resurrection because of the Greek influence of philosophy. Plato said, the, the body, anything physical is evil, the spirit is good. And Paul's saying, no, no, we believe in a bodily resurrection. Unless Christ was raised bodily, we have no hope. He's saying, no, no, we believe in the resurrection of the body. And he says this. He says this about his relationship to the resurrection. He says, what do I gain? He's talking about his life. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? What Paul is talking about, there was a moment, and these Romans were cruel. Eh? They were the invention, inventors of cruelty. They would clothe these innocent people or whoever they wanted to, for sport in, in animals' clothing that would have a smell, and they would release dogs onto them. So, and the dogs would knew exactly where they were, and these people would have to fight off these beasts. And if you made it, well done. But if you didn't, goodbye. And he was saying, if, if there was no resurrection, I would be crazy to do that. And he did. He said, what made me get into the arena and fight off these beasts and not de deny Jesus Christ? He says, if the dead are not raised, listen to this, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What is he saying? Is if you don't see the resurrection, you make different decisions about how you live your life. And this is the problem, he said. If you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, how are you ever going to expect to cope with suffering in this life? Because what you really believe, if there's no resurrection of the dead, is that this world and this life is the best of heaven you're going to get. That's the problem. Now, please stay with me. We must, we must examine our hearts here. We must examine our hearts here. I want to ask you this morning, what is your relationship to death today? How do you feel about it personally? Because friends, the heart that says this, I better make sure I get that picket fence dream 
I better make sure that I get that trophy husband or trophy wife or trophy house. I better make sure that I maximize all the pleasures, all the overseas trips, all the things I can potentially get out of this life because this is all that there really is because when I die, that's it. So in other words, I have to try and cheat death. I don't think about death. Let me tell you, as a pharmacist, we make billions because of people trying to cheat death and a lot of it doesn't work anyway. But I want to say this, is that you look at your life and you think, oh, uh, this is all I've got and you feel so worried that you're not going to get everything that you should possibly get. Not so. Do you know the mark of a bad relationship with death is a deep discontent with life because the, the basis of discontentment is I'm not getting everything I should be before I die. Not so. I want to ask you what is driving your ambition in this life. The resurrection tests it. Is it to have the massive pension perfect grandchildren, the latest fashion? Is it to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Friends, or do you recognize that the resurrection this morning pushes against a worldview without Christ, a worldview that has a very low perception of resurrection, that refuses to think of this world as there being possibly anything better than it? Friends, this morning, the resurrection calls us to a greater life, amen? Praise God. This resurrection calls us to realize that as we live for Jesus, one day we're going to meet him. As we live for Jesus, one day we're going to hear his voice. And what he says to us on that day is going to matter more than all of the fleeting pleasures of sin right now. I'm sympathetic this morning because it's hard by faith to feel that Christ could say something to you and the glory you receive for eternity could outweigh what your flesh is desiring right now. But it's true. You walk by faith this morning, friends. And I want to say, if you have a right view of the resurrection, it will do some powerful things for you. The first is, it will help you suffer. What does Paul say? Well, he says, it will help you realize that whatever you are experiencing right now, it's just for a little while. This is very anti what the church preaches today, I'll be honest. The church preaches health, wealth, and happiness, this side of the grave. Jesus just wants you to be happy. That's true, but he's happy in what? In a fake gospel that says you're never going to suffer or that in Jesus' example we see we suffer and through suffering we reach a great glory that we will not want to trade for anything when we get it and when we see him. He says here, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What is he doing? He's saying when you hold up the resurrection and eternal life, you realize how tiny and short this life is, not so? How many of you, I am 30-something years old, ha, <laughs> And I'm realizing this life is fast. And I get excited when I see the resurrection because it's coming quicker than I think. And when you start to think, well, some of us here are going through very difficult things, but in the light of the resurrection, they're light. You think, how can it be possible if, I, if, if this life is all that there is? It's heavy, my friend. But when you see this life is the mere foyer of the great entry to an eternal banquet with Jesus, you go, I think I can do it. You're my model, Jesus. And he says here, this weight of suffering, so we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Isn't that glorious? As you look at your weakness, 
as you look at your need, you have the guarantee of your resurrection saying, it's just a short time. It's not going to be as heavy as you think when you look at the glory of the resurrection that's going to relieve you forever. Oh, and not just that, is you're going to hear something from Jesus in the way that you face your suffering that is going to bring great, wonderful, satisfying, it's going to compensate more than above for what that suffering costs you. It will determine how you run in this world. Friends, when you realize that the resurrection is real, it tells you that this is not home. It makes you feel like an alien. That's what it's like to feel like. Have you ever had that experience as a Christian? When you leave church and you walk with those, which I hope you do from time to time, and they, they sound different. They think differently. You're an alien. Friends, you know what Paul says? Actually, it's Peter. He talks about who you are. He says, you're a holy priesthood, a holy nation. Then he goes on to say this. Once you were not a people, but now... You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. The only reason why you, you'll resist sin is because you know it pleases Jesus and one day he's going to commend you for it. Why? Why? I mean, as a teenager, I used to think to myself, what stopped me from seeing these lovely, sexy women around me going, ah, oh, if I want to have the maximum of life, I've got to enjoy them all. Well, because I know that I resist these desires within me because I know they're not going to be forever. And as I resist, as my identity calls me to, to represent Christ in this world, I start to see that it's not just these moments of me denying and God being a bored fuddy-duddy, you know, he wants you to have such a miserable life, as you sing, it's preparing a weight of glory that cannot be compared to the temptation that's wanting me to yield to it. Friends, when you start to see the resurrection, it will make you hate sin. It will give you an assurance of your salvation. Jesus assures you, I want you to say it's the most radical thing. I, 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 I often think to myself about that scripture that says, where he says he will complete the good work that he started in you. What is he saying? Some of us feel that work is taking a long time to be completed, right? <laughs> He's talking about the resurrection. We're almost there. The resurrection where it starts with you being made a new creation, regeneration in your heart. He, he creates, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The resurrection starts it here in your heart, but it's going to be completed in your physical resurrection. And friends, God is going to be faithful, not only in your regeneration of calling you to Christ, he's going to be faithful to calling you home to glory. I can't wait. You know when I talk to Marina? I feel a bit guilty. I, I, said her, I feel guilty because I really want to go home to Jesus. <laughs> I know I'm going to leave you behind with the kids, but <laughs> she says to me, I want to die first, eh? <laughs> You're going home. You're going home. This isn't home. And if you put your faith in Jesus, Live for it because the resurrection is guaranteed. What, it's not whether or not you're going to get resurrected to heaven. It's how you enter into heaven. Can I just land on, on reward this morning? It is the most brilliant analogy where Paul says, and again, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, you know what the resurrection is going to be like? Look at the stars. You must do this at night. Look at the stars. He says, can you see how they differ in glory? First of all, you get the sun. When the sun shines, nothing else shines, right? That's Jesus. All glory and honor to Jesus Oh, but do you notice about the moon and the stars? When you look in the sky, some reflect more of the sun's light than their own. It's not their own light. It's not, it's not the fact that they're generating their own glory. They are living off the glory and supply of the sun. 
Oh, but the one that lives more and more for the glory of Jesus, that reflects who he is on that day, the resurrection. You will be honored for it. You will shine more brightly than others. We'll get there. We'll be, with the, we'll be amongst the stars. But, but Paul says, don't you see? Don't you see as you live for Jesus at the resurrection cause that this light being reflected, the person of Christ reflected in your life, the person of Christ being brought into this world, how you live for Jesus. Oh, on that day in the resurrection, it's going to be like seeing the difference in the stars. There's the moon. Who knows who gets to be the moon? I don't know. There's the planets. There's the stars. They are reflecting the glory of the sun. But friends, there's a difference. There's a difference. They're there in the sky, but the one that he reflects the glory of Jesus the most on earth gets the greatest honor in heaven. And I ask you this morning, what are you living for? You see, our struggle is we downgrade that moment to be something to be discarded. But I ask you this morning, please listen to me carefully. Do you want to run for a prize that fades in this world? Or do you want to run for a prize that lasts forever? And I don't know what the honor from Jesus looks like, but I tell you, it's worth dying for. It's worth saying, I'll face beasts in the circus. It's worth saying, for these people, I'll be crucified on behalf of God. It's worth being impaled and being set on, on fire. They saw it doesn't matter how death comes, it what death achieved, in that it achieves this resurrection. And friends, today, your life, I ask you, what do you want? Where do you think you're going? And how are you living for it? Because what Christ is offering was worth these guys dying excruciating deaths and to consider it light and momentary in comparison to the glory that was waiting for them from Christ. That's how you live your life. That's how you weigh up your decisions. That's how you pour out your love in response to the resurrection. And I want to remind everybody here that there will be a resurrection for everyone. Paul is very clear in Acts chapter 24, verse 15. He says this, there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. All of us will be resurrected. That's what the power of Christ's resurrection is, is that we'll be resurrected, all of us, but to different destinations. And today, how you choose to respond to Jesus, my friend, determines where you go. And I ask you, are you ready for him? Because it's later than you think. What a waste for you to come and enjoy Easter and to leave the same. Hey, let's look at this death and resurrection of Jesus and be spurred on to live for what really matters. And I ask you, are you right with the Lord? Is there sin that you must put right before him? Do it now. Are you exercising faith in Jesus? Are you saying this man is a fact? And his death on a cross and his resurrection is a fact. And it demands a response this morning from my life of faith. Of saying, this is not something I just poo-poo and go, oh, that's nice, I'll wait till next year, Easter, when I rock up. No, no, friends, this morning, the fact of the resurrection explodes human reason and human ability to ignore 
what is eternal and what is coming according to Scripture. Are you ready for it this morning? It is the greatest and most important thing in your life is what are you going to do with this death and resurrection of Jesus? Let's pray. I want you to have an opportunity to respond to the resurrected King this morning. Where are you with the Lord? It doesn't matter where you are in the rest of life. I'm asking you, where are you with Jesus this morning? He has come this morning for you. Would you say to him, Lord, I've got to put things right with you right now. Would you say to him, Jesus, forgive me. (laughs) Forgive me for living in a way that denies your resurrection. Forgive me for living in a way that denies your messiahhood. Your Messiah, forgive me for living in a way, Lord, that has downgraded you to being a mere man that I can forget about. No, Lord, this morning, would you say to him, I put my faith in you as the resurrected king, as my savior and Lord. And this morning, it's a call for you, not only for the first time believer, but it's a call to us, church, are we gonna live for Jesus? Are we gonna trust Jesus? Are we going to see the resurrection as the hope of Easter this morning? That as we look at our trials and this, this trouble that God guarantees us in this world, will we see that He's overcome it? And that as He has been faithful to overcome, He will help us do the same. Let's live for the one. Let's live for the one who's died and been resurrected for us. Lord, help us this morning as a church. Live for, live for what really matters, we pray. In your precious and wonderful name, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. If you did some business with the Lord this morning and want to talk to us about it, we'd love to help you, celebrate with you, pray for you, help you take some next steps. But otherwise, be blessed this Easter. May the year ahead be one living in the light of his resurrection. We'll see you on Sunday.